It's four o'clock and time for the Calvary Live Show, taking your calls and questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. You are listening to Calvary Live. This is the Carlin Radio Show, where you call us with your questions about the Bible, uh, or if you have questions about God or Jesus, um, maybe you have a question about Christianity in general, and would like to get some more information about that. Uh, you can call us today at 303-690-3000. Once again, the phone number to call is 303-690-3000. Or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, the number to text is 720-336-0897. But especially at the beginning of the program, I do recommend calling if you can, because at the beginning we've got three open lines and they usually fill up um, throughout the show. So once again, the number to call us today is 303-690-3000. Uh, my name is Nate Morris. I am the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Vale Valley up in the beautiful mountains of Colorado. And uh, we got some snow last night, which was fun. It was the second snow of the season for us, but a little bit more intense snow today. And uh, it's nice to look out and see a little bit of white there with the yellow leaves. It's a great time of year. Beautiful out here. Um, but, you know, just was thinking about uh, this whole past week, the... Um, the reality that our world is a really dark place, you know, so often we get to this place where we think, you know, that people are basically good and then we're woken up by another horrible reality to the fact that people are sinners and we have a sin nature and we basically are evil uh, in that, you know, we choose evil. We choose to turn our back on God and to do things that are uh, horrendous, like what happened in Las Vegas uh, last, you know, just recently, and uh, thinking about this and thinking about the reality that that many of us look at situations like that and think, what can I do? What could what can be done? And the reality is, uh, as a believer in Jesus Christ, there is something that you can do. Um, you can step up and you can be that person to meet that person that's hurting. Uh, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, you do have an impact. Uh, we don't have to just look at events like this in despair and horror. We can take what we see and we can run with it and say, you know what, I am gonna, I'm going to do my best. When I see somebody that's lonely or hurting, uh, who maybe is the next shooter, I'm going to befriend them. I'm going to share with them the love of Jesus Christ and be that person in their life that might save that person and prevent something like this from happening. Um, just, just was thinking about that and just the, the reality that, that we as believers, uh, we can do something. And often that might be what God is doing in our hearts. If, if, if there's something that's breaking your heart, whether it's something like that or the human trafficking epidemic or something that you see in your community that's just broken, when we have those things that break our heart, I, I believe that often that might be God actually stirring your heart and saying, hey, yeah, somebody should do something about that. And maybe that somebody is you. Maybe you should do something about that um, and, and just encouraging you to take that step of faith out into that. 
Okay, once again, you can call us today with your questions about the Bible, your questions about Jesus, your questions about God. Maybe there's a cult group that you're curious about, or maybe somebody's approached you with an interesting teaching that you're really not sure if it's biblical or not. Would love to talk with you about that today. You can call us today at 303-690-3000. We do still have one line open. Or you can text 720-336-0897. I'd like to go to Carl on line three. Carl, welcome to the program. Oh, hi. Thanks for uh, taking my call. So I have uh, a question, a biblical question, um, and I have a few other questions. I don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, but my question, because I, I have a few other questions of whether, or regarding some teachings and things I've been hearing of different people uh, in the past few weeks. Okay. Uh, but my biblical question, my church is going through uh, the book of Acts right now, doing a reading plan. And uh, for Acts chapter 5 with the Nice of Sapphira, I've heard some teaching in the past that talked about how uh, that, at the, the context of it, that there's a lot of people in Jerusalem for the feast, a lot of Jews, non-Jews, and then people, there's a lot of non-Jews coming to the church and engaging the church in their activities of our churches distributing food and feeding people and, and clothes and taking care of people, and a lot of non-believers were, were coming to the church and, and partaking in that community, and that an act of Sapphira were not believers, and that God was that when they lied to the Holy Spirit and lied to Peter, because they're trying to look like uh, a Jew, like a believer, that God killed them as a way to try to get the non-believers out of the church and still fear into the church and into the non-believers in the church to get them out of the church to kind of like purify the church in a sense, like God, that Jesus was building his church and trying to do that. So I don't know if that's—is that a correct teaching of that? Um, when I was listening to a sermon this, this Sunday, our pastor briefly talked about it, but didn't really go into the depths of, of the background and answer sort of thing like that, and I've um, been questioning whether that's a correct teaching or not. Yeah, so there, there's parts of that that I would say we can um, say are, are, are correct, and there's parts that we just don't know. And so that's where I would say some of it might be conjecture a little bit. And, you know, honestly, sometimes as pastors, when we give a Bible study, sometimes there are certain things that we really don't know, and we, we do give some conjecture on um, just because we're trying to take what we have and communicate a point with that. And that, that's not wrong necessarily to do that, but to say that, um, something is it is the way that it is when we don't know, I would say that's incorrect. But I, I don't know if that's you know exactly what was going on. But when we look at Acts chapter 5, which is where you're, you're talking about with Ananias and Sapphira, um, we see this couple, they sold something that they owned, and they kept back part of the, the money from that, and then they gave the rest of it to the apostles. Now, that wasn't the issue. Uh, the, the money was theirs. They could do whatever they wanted to with it. They didn't have to sell the thing that they owned. They didn't have to give any of the money, uh, any of that stuff. But what they did is they, they brought part of the proceeds from that, gave it to the apostles, and then they lied and said that they had given all of it and they kept back part of it from themselves. And so it wasn't that they, you know, the, the problem wasn't that they didn't give everything. The problem was that they lied about it. And so um, Peter, when he responds to Ananias, says, you know, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? You know, he kind of goes into this whole thing about how they lied to God uh, in this. That was really the issue that, that happened. And so um, what, we, what we know from this is that Ananias and Sapphira were people who sold something that they owned and they gave it to the apostles, essentially to the church, to the Lord. 
and they lied about how much they gave and they kept back part of that for themselves. And so we don't know whether Ananias and Sapphira were, were not believers. Um, I think the natural assumption, though, is that they would have been believers. That would be that would be the assumption that a, that a normal, you know, a, a, as a plain reading of the text would be that Ananias and Sapphira are believers, um, and that's why they took that, you know, sold their possession, sold something that they owned, and then chose to give some of it to the Lord. Um, but it doesn't say that, so I can't say that with certainty. So I, I'm not going to say that the pastor that you heard that from is wrong. Um, it doesn't say that they were believers or that they weren't. I mean, they could have certainly been make-believers, you know, that, that wanted to, to put on a show. But the, the early church um, was under such persecution, and there really was not a, a great taste in the mouth of the, the, the non-believers for the church. And so I, I don't really know uh, if they would have done that or not. But we really just don't know as it comes down to that. Now, my take on that has been that they were believers and that ultimately God uh, didn't have a purpose for them on the earth anymore. You know, they made it, they, they, they had hearts that were not seeking after the right things and um, God took their lives and basically said, all right, it's time for you to come home. You're, 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 you're causing too much trouble down there, in other words, if that makes sense. That's, that's been my take on that section of scripture, but, um, but we don't know. It doesn't say that they weren't, that they were or were not believers. Okay, because yeah, I've struggled with that, that where they would get the interpretation that they weren't believers. The only thing that could make sense of that was when I was reading the text and how with Barnabas, like comparing, you know, they, Luke is comparing Barnabas to them right before that and has mm-hmm. all this information that like he's telling them that they're, Barnabas is from a native of Cyprus, he's a Levite. And so, like, they're kind of making the assurance that we know that Barnabas is a, is a believer and one is really up to the Lord. And then they just come come along with the nice and fire. And is a nice, is that is that a, a Greek name or is that a Hebrew name? Ananias, I believe that's a Hebrew name, but I'd have to look into it to tell you for sure. I'm not positive on that one. Okay. So I think I've also heard some uh, conjectures that they were Greeks. So they're, they're people from, they weren't from native Jerusalem and, and maybe some conjectures that they like, they, they come to that conclusion based off of their names. But yeah, I'm not sure. So I, I just had a lot of questions over that, especially since I've been like hearing different things on and on. Um, and yeah, it's it's yeah. I think that's just a hard test that can make sense of. Um, and if if you're willing to take another question, um, sure. so around the time of um, in September, uh, there's videos around. I had some friends that are sharing some videos with me about September 23rd, 2017, and how there was uh, you know September 23rd, 2015, the the drew are um, or the the. Uh, Nazareth star showed up in the sky that, that astronomers were seeing and that um, at the time like world events like the Pope coming to America like that is significant in the sense for the nation of Israel is significant in, in the sense of um, God's people and, and God using the heavens to kind of show that there's there's things happening um, and there's people making all sorts of conjectures about things that were going to happen in a two-year period and that were going to happen on September 23rd and when I was on September twenty third, I was I was watching the news. I was trying to keep track of what was happening. I saw like Iran um, came out with their nuclear miss their their ballistic missile, and I was watching a lot of the United Nations stuff and saw that you know just the United Nations as always is trying to um, bash Israel and whatnot. And um, 
And I don't know. I, and then around that same time, I was hearing a lot of things about the Elijah narrative, which is uh, some Missyang Jew was trying to is like trying to fit America into the the narrative of Elijah in the sense that like um, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, like Hillary Clinton is Jezebel, and Barack Obama um, got his name, and then like. And then trying to like make a connection to their careers, their their political careers, and what they they are for, like with the child sacrifice, and, and connecting that with political leaders here in America, and and like connecting Trump with the military, that like, kind of took power for a little while, like this. And I, I was wondering, have you been hearing about that stuff, and what your what your take is on some of that stuff that's been going around? Uh, no, I've not heard about that. Those comparisons that you're make that that this person's making. Um, but I, I mean, the reality is here, here's, here's my take on all of this stuff. As far as eschatology goes, which eschatology is the study of the end times, um, you know, reading the book of revelation, you know, digging into Daniel and Ezekiel and some of these books that talk about the, what's going to happen in the end. I am 100% convinced that we are, we are, you know, every day getting closer and closer to Jesus coming back. May it be today. Absolutely. May it be today. Uh, but th there's something that I think happens um, in, in Christianity where people get this idea that they can figure out some sort of code that's in scripture that's going to tell them when it's going to happen. And the problem with that is that God has very clearly told us through Scripture that we're not going to know when it's going to happen. I mean, we know the Scripture that says, you know, no one knows the day or the hour, um, you know, that, that whole thing. But then people will try to say, well, if we can't know the day or the hour, we can know the year or we can know the, the two years. But that, that defeats the point of what the Scripture is trying to say. Basically, he's saying, you don't know when it's going to happen. And, you know, Paul thought that Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. Paul was convinced of that. Obviously, we're, we're, we're 2,000 years later, um, and we are, as individuals, ha having that same conviction that Jesus is going to come back in our lifetime, and I fully believe that. Um, but Paul was convinced of that himself. And the reason that I bring that up is because if Paul was convinced of it in his lifetime, and he had a much better understanding of uh, eschatology, of the Old Testament and the, the context of the Old Testament than we do in the prophecies. I mean, he spent his entire upbringing studying that stuff. Uh, if Paul was convinced it was going to happen in his lifetime, not saying it's going to happen 2,000 years from now or it's going to happen, you know, later, uh, I think that the point really that we see is that God wants his people in every generation to be expecting him to come, to be expecting Jesus to come at any time. Um, and that's that's really the key. There is no... From a prophetic standpoint, there is no prophecy that remains to be fulfilled before the rapture can take place. Um, and so when we look at these things in Scripture, it's, it's interesting to line up a lot of these things. We see, you know, the, the, the world players lining up in certain ways. We see countries like Russia and Iran and things where they're, they're lining up in certain ways that add up to certain things like maybe this is happening and it's 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 interesting to look at that and it gets you excited about the return of the lord but i think um when people try to get specific saying dates or tying in uh astronomical signs or um you know doing things like that i am always very skeptical because um, that they are, they've all been proven wrong. You know, that's, that's really the problem is somebody will say, well, something big is going to happen on this date. And, 
you know, or or Jesus is going to come back on this date, and they end up being proven wrong. And and really, it what happens is it, it says if someone makes a prophecy that does not come true in the Old Testament, it, it says that we're that person's a false prophet. <laughs> yeah, right. And so for me, I'm not going to subject myself to that. I don't want to be one to say, oh, this is it. I've figured it out. You know. Um, because God speaks very powerfully against that. So, so for me, like the, like the, 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 the Elijah narrative that you're talking about, or, uh, probably, you know, that thing to me is a little bit like, okay, well, he's taking Old Testament stories, you know, his history and trying to project it onto current events. That, that Old Testament history for, of Elijah was not meant to be prophetic uh that was that's a that's a historical narrative that we read there it's not a prophetic book so i think that there's no merit in that that specific comparison but then the other things you know when we're looking at this every every year or two years we get something new it's the blood moons or it's the um it's the it's the the um as you put it the, i think you said the nazareth star but basically see, people see that that stuff and they say oh something big is going to happen but the scripture doesn't say that it, it you know yeah. we see some interesting things but i want to take my cues from what is plain and clear in the bible um so that's that's kind of where i fall on that stuff okay because yeah like the big thing recently was the like revelation 12 was the um the woman clothed the son that there is the the virgo constellation had the sun at the head of the like was being limited had like the sun at the head of it had because of the alignment of the, um, like I think it was Mercury, Venus, and Mars, those the alignment of those three stars came right next to the uh, Lion constellation, Leo, which is right above the Virgo constellation. And the moon was sitting right in the womb of the Virgin and was like mm-hmm. was sat there for a little while and then came out of the womb. And so they're saying, and then they, and then was at the foot of foot of the woman. So they're saying like there's like that's kind of like the sign that happens the Revelation 12, but it's like, well, the Revelation 12, it talks about that, and then, like, Satan falling, so it's, like, hard to, like, match, like, oh, like, is Satan falling right now? No, that's not possible, so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's just, like, stuff like that, like, people are, are seeing these things, and then, like, it's just, it, it's, yeah, I don't know, it's just interesting, but, of course, yeah, people making conjectures, and I'm trying to, like, make sense of, you know, that uh, doesn't make sense to me, but, um, the larger narrative, why that's intriguing to me was, um, you know, it's not part of prophecy. I mean, part of prophecy is not just prediction of future, but also pattern that the, the Hebrews, I mean, just like, you know, with eschatology in the end times, the patterns of the rapture with, um, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Isaac being missing until he came in to get his bride. And then uh, Enoch and Noah and um, Daniel and uh, Michel Abednego uh, uh, and that there's a sense of, like, there is a, sometimes a history repeats itself and there's a pattern to it. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's one reason why the Elijah narrative thing caught my attention, because of how well it fit. Um, this guy go, really goes into detail and shows how well, well is it, like, how well it fits. And so I was just, yeah, curious if you've ran into that and, and, and try to compare that description and if you came to a conclusion on that, but... Yeah, you um, know, and I think uh, I, you're right. There are, you know, there are specifically with Old Testament prophecy, there there usually are a near and a far off fulfillment of things. Um, the reason I say specifically with that is is the story that that you're recounting in Elijah. It's a historical narrative there, and so we see certain things that we call like a type, um, but you're always looking at them in reverse. You're always looking at them from 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 
the second one, the looking back, and um, the problem that I see it, it, specifically with anybody that's trying to make America fit into the 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 prophetic timeline is that it really just it just doesn't from any of the prophetic books and so if we're trying to take something from a narrative book that's not really meant to be that uh and squeeze it into there but it's not in the prophetic book I, i'm super skeptical of that i mean it doesn't it doesn't show that you know when you when we look in the 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 ezekiel or in revelation we don't see we don't see uh, um an analog for America in there. And so that that's pr the main reason I'd be skeptical. But even then, I think we have to be really careful with typology. And typology, that's what I mean, it, it is, is referring to uh, what you mentioned as a pattern. Um, you know, we look in the Old Testament and we can say things are a type of Christ or um, a foreshadowing of something that happens. And that's certainly true with certain things, but I think some people can take that uh, a little bit far and um, so this is one of those where I would be, I'd be highly skeptical of that personally. But yeah. I have not looked into it myself specifically, so I, I mean, I can't really speak to exactly what he says, but just as a, kind of a one-off, it's something that I would be skeptical of. Um, and then as far as the, the you mentioned the, 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 um, the Bethlehem star and the conjunctions and stuff, that, that actually, I, I have looked into that because I, I uh, watched the video, The Star of Bethlehem, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it's a really, it's a really interesting um, video where the guy is uh, looking at how that ties together with potentially the birth of Christ. Um, but I, I would say, here's the thing, is that, that that specific phenomenon is actually fairly common, the one that, that you referred to. Um, and I think that that has a, a reason. I think there's a reason that that's mentioned in Scripture because it was something that was fairly common. Um, and and it, somebody might see that something, you know, a, a few times in their lifetime um, and so it was it was a big event but it's not something that's it hasn't it's not like it hasn't happened since you know Jesus was born or something like that and that that's really where I, I think um, just because it's talks about that in scripture doesn't mean that it's going to be that big of a thing every time it comes up if that makes sense yeah okay but um, but yeah if you haven't seen the star of Bethlehem the movie the star of Bethlehem it's a great video uh, you can actually watch it on YouTube. You can Google it on YouTube and you can pull it up and it's got some interesting stuff there about what might have been um, the Star of Bethlehem and kind of tying in those astronomical signs as well. Um, and, and I do think that there's validity to some of that, but really when we're looking at those things, it, it, for us, um, I, I think that, that we know that the imminency of Christ is, is important, knowing that he's coming it, it, pretty much any day. You know, he, it could be any day that he comes, and that's that's really where our eyes should be focused. Is it could be today, it could be tomorrow, um, and there may be certain things that happen in the world stage before then. But there's nothing from a prophetic standpoint that needs to happen before the rapture would take place. So, okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you for your call. Have a great day. Yeah. You too. Bye. All right, you're listening to Calvary Live, taking your calls and questions about the Bible, about Jesus, uh, about prophecy, if you've got a question about that, and uh, would love to chat with you about those things. You can call us today at 303-690-3000, 
or you can text 720-336-0897. Once again, you can call 303-690-3000 or text 720-336-0897. Although I will say uh, you have a much better chance of getting on with your question if you make a phone call just because we usually get tied up a little bit. So I'd like to go to Gail on line one. Gail, welcome to the program. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, I've been just struggling with some health problems, and um... oh, Gail, you there? Yeah, turn it down. Yeah, I, ha I have a pr prayer request. Okay, yeah. Um, I was in two back-to-back -back car accidents last year, and I've been trying my hardest to fix the mobile home my mom left me. But to tell you the truth, we need a new one. So I've been praying and praying that we could somehow come across some kind of money just to pull a new one in so um, it's easier to get in for me because um, there's not really a ramp there. <laughs> and the trailer is just so old. Yeah. Okay. And just my house has been falling apart. I've been diagnosed with thyroid nodules now, and I've got really bad legs. And, you know, I want to make a good place for the kids because they deserve a good place to live. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's definitely, we can bring that before the Lord and pray together. Would you do me a favor and just turn your radio down if you wouldn't mind? I think I'm hearing some okay. echo in the background there. But, okay. Um, yeah, let's definitely do that. Um, I'll go ahead and, and pray for us. Lord, I, I thank you for Gail, Lord. I thank you um, for just the ways that you're working and moving in her life. And just as she's having issues with her home right now, Lord, I pray that you would um, that you would bring your provision, Lord. Show her what that is, whatever that looks like, Lord. Whether that is fixing, you know, fixing her place up. Maybe there's some people um, in her neighborhood that would be willing to come and work on her house, Lord, or whether that's you just providing her with something new. I, I, we don't know what that looks like, Lord, but we know that you are Jehovah Jireh. You are our, our provider. And so we just ask that you would um, show yourself strong for her, Lord, that you would reveal your goodness and your love, that you would provide um, the, uh, housing for them, Lord, whether that's in fixing up the current place that they have or something uh, brand new. So we just lift this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And I, I had a, another question for you. Sure. Um, a week ago or so, somebody brought up the shack, the book, The Shack, and they said it was not biblical. Is that true? Uh, there's some very unbiblical things in The Shack. I personally have not read it, so I've just read critiques of it. Um, and honestly, I just didn't want to read it. <laughs> i got to be honest. I just mm -hmm. the, the, the theme of the story just is something that I, I, you know, it says in Scripture that whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is just, focus on these things and then the God of peace will be with you. Those are the things that I want to focus on. And the, just even the, the thought of the theme of that book was something that I just didn't really want to deal with stomaching. But I have... Um, I have read many reviews on it, positive and negative, and from what I can see, it, it, it's it's a narrative story that really takes a lot of license with the character and nature of God, and that's something that we need to be very careful about. Um, we need to be very careful about describing God as something that he is not described as in the scripture, because then we start to be claiming who God is, and the only way that we should be able to define who God is is the way that he defines himself in the scriptures and has revealed himself to be. And so for me, that, that, that 
side of things is I would be very cautious about the book The Shack just because uh, anything that that attempts to define God outside of the way he's defined himself uh, is a very scary picture for me because we start to develop ideas that are not founded in scripture, if that makes any sense. Yes, that does. And also, um, I've been dealing with the broken heart. I just broke up with my boyfriend, Andrew Martinez, because he lied to me. We were together like five years, and I just, I just can't open up my heart anymore. It's just very hard. I need, I need to pray on how to open up my heart again. Mm, okay, yeah, well, we can definitely pray for, um, for, for that. Let's definitely pray. Um, I'm going to go ahead and lead us because we're coming up on the break in about less than a minute. So I'm going to go ahead and start with prayer, and then we'll go to the break here in just a second. So Lord, uh, just lift up Gail to you, just as she is, she's hurting, Lord, from the, the, the breakdown of this relationship. Pray that you would just bring her peace. Help her just to find her hope in you, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to her, that you would show her how much you love her, that you would work powerfully in her life, Lord, and help her just to find that comfort and that peace uh, from you, Lord, knowing that that you are, that the thing that she desires most and deepest down in her heart, Lord, that's you. It's not, it's not a relationship, it's you. And so I uh, pray that you would bring that for her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stick around for a couple seconds and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Call us with your questions about life, the Bible, and living in Jesus right now at 303-690-3000. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nate Morris from Calvary Chapel Vale Valley taking your calls and your questions today. Uh, if you have a question about God, a question about the Bible, um, a question about someone who has shared a teaching with you about God or about Jesus uh, or if you have a question about a cult, I would love to talk with you about that. You can call us today at 303-690-3000. Once again, that phone number is 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. I've got three open lines right now. So if you've had a question you've been thinking about and either haven't gotten through before or haven't thought of the chance to t call in, you can call us today at 303-690-3000. would love to talk with you. I'm going to take a quick look at the text line here and see what we've got going on. Hold on one second. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Here we go. Uh, we've got a text that says, please help me. How do I guard my heart around people who cuss? I don't want my heart to be defiled. Please help me. It's really affecting me. I don't know how to ignore it and I get scared of it. And then when I get angry and say, say it, what do I do? Okay, so um, so for you, if it, it, I'm imagining it's at your workplace or in your home that you're, you're dealing with lots of people that are cussing. And, you know, here's the thing. As believers, we want to let no unclean thing come out of our mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, that it builds people up. We want to build people up with our language, not tear people down. And I understand where you're coming from because you're, you're hearing that in, in ways that you don't really want to. And the reality is, is that as we're out in the world, we're going to be around people who cuss a lot. 
um, it depend, especially depending on what type of industry you're in or maybe who your family members are. And so I understand and I feel for you, you know, just hearing that language, uh, letting it wear on you, I, I totally understand that. Um, but the challenge is, is we cannot hold those who are not believers to the same standard that we hold ourselves um, because they don't have the Holy Spirit they don't have that filter. They don't have that heart there to that surrender to the Lord to know um, that they shouldn't be doing that. And so for you, guarding your heart really comes down to, I, I would say, preparing yourself at the start of the day and saying, Lord, I really need you. I need to have my eyes on the things of you. I need to have my eyes and my heart on the things of the kingdom. And then when you're around that, just just ask that the Lord would give you discernment and wisdom. And, you know, I, I used to work with a guy um, when I was much younger. I was doing construction work, and me and this other guy worked together a lot. And we'd be working, and we'd go out, and we'd be doing stuff, and every other word out of his mouth was a cuss word. I mean, it was every other word. And uh, one day, we were just talking, and he started, he was in the middle of saying something, and just right in the middle of saying something, he stopped himself, and he looked at me with kind of a funny look on his face, and he said, Nate, I don't think I've ever heard you cuss. And that was all he said. And I sat there and I was like, yeah, well, I, I don't cuss. He's like, why don't you cuss? And I was like, well, you know, uh, I'm a Christian and, and I want the words that come out of my mouth to be words that bless people and build people up. And, and so I don't let those things come out of my mouth. And so it was interesting because uh, from that moment on, he didn't cuss around me, which was a blessing to me. But, you know, it's kind of funny because it wasn't like, uh, like I was trying to get him to stop cussing around me. I just kind of was that example and being a light in that situation. Um, and, you know, I prayed for him a lot. I don't, uh, we, I moved on to a different job and I don't know if he ultimately became a believer or not, but he noticed the fact that I didn't. And so, um, for you, I would just say, get yourself prayed up in the morning and, and walk strong in the Lord and just rest in that and just trust that he, uh, that he has you. And as you're around those situations, just don't engage in it. Don't let yourself go there. And you'd be surprised by the light that shines through you. Uh, when other people are using language like that and you're not, um, God can definitely use you in that. So uh, I'm going to go back to the call lines. We've got three full lines now. So I'd like to go to Janelle on line one. Janelle, welcome to the program. Thank you. Hallelujah. Um, I have a question about false prophets. What was the teaching of were they to be killed in the Old Testament or just not listened to? And how does that compare in the New Testament with the exercise of the gift of prophecy if somebody turns out to be wrong in what they say? Are they to be considered a non-believer, or what is their status? Yeah, so in the Old Testament, um, if, a, if, a, if a prophet gave a prophecy that did not happen, they were stoned to death. They were, they were killed. Um, which is a pretty harsh punishment, but the reality was is God was trying to keep his people clean, and so he could not have people giving false prophecies um, out there leading them astray. Those were, were uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, and so when there was a, 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 a false prophet in the Old Testament that was proven to be a false prophet by their prophecy, their future-telling prophecy not coming to pass, they were to be stoned to death. Um, and so... 
you know, in the New Testament, obviously the, the Old Testament law, specifically dealing with prophets and some of those things, was a national law. It was more like a, a, a civic law. And so it was protecting the nation of Israel. That law no longer applies to us in that sense, um, in the sense that, you know, we should enact those ordinances that were for the right. nation of Israel. So, so that doesn't apply because Christianity is not a nation. And so we don't, we don't enforce national laws like that. Um, and so as far as a false prophet goes in the New Testament, we're to be very careful about false prophets and we're to have nothing to do with those who are false prophets. Um, and, you know, honestly, there are a lot of false prophets out there today. And I would say if somebody makes a prophecy and they claim it to be a prophecy and it does not come to pass, then I would say I would stay away from that person. That person is probably not a prophet. They probably are a false prophet. And uh, that actually, you know, if we go by that rule, it's going to exclude a lot of people who have claimed to be prophets. Um, so, but, you know, we, we're supposed to be very, very careful about those who would be um, false prophets and make sure that, that, you know, we are not listening to those who would lead us astray. Um, so, you know, in, in the modern day, you know, as we are part of the church, um, you know, we're, we're um, not to, to, to do things like stoning them to death, of course, of course, right. of course. But we should be wary of them, and we should walk away from them. And there's a lot of people in very large leadership positions that have made lots of false prophecies and are still in their positions. Um, so if you come across somebody that's done that, I would definitely say that I'd steer clear of them. What happens if you find somebody who what they says is correct, but they there's something in their spirit or in their character that they're not violating ethics or morals, but they, I, I knew a woman like this one time that just her character was somehow, it seemed like she was more focused on herself, mm -hmm. but yet when she would tell someone about something that was coming or whatever, it usually it was came out to be true, mm -hmm. but I always had this this really guarded feeling about her somehow because of her character. I felt that she was focused on herself, and I really didn't feel a good spirit about her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, we want to make sure that if we're if we're looking to someone as in some sort of leadership position over us, we want to make sure that we examine the fruit of their lives. And if their fruit doesn't line up with the fruit of the spirit, then they're people that we want to avoid uh, in terms of leadership, you know, people that we would be under for leadership. And again, we see many leaders uh, in, in the church today who are disqualified from leadership by their behavior. Uh, am I going to say that this person is a false prophet that you're talking about? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, what she said, and I don't know her, so I, I'd be careful about saying that. But if you have a check in your heart about this person because of the way that she carries herself or the things that she says or does, I would steer clear of her um, personally, if it was me. Um, now, that, that I, I'd be very careful about judging that because, you know, it, um, we don't want to be walk around just being 
fruit inspectors, you know, renegade fruit inspectors. But as far as people that I would submit myself to, you know, if she's a leader in a women's ministry or something like that, and 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 you would put yourself under her, I would be careful about that. Yeah, there was an occasion where I had an opportunity to serve in a brief capacity under her, and I cautioned her about something that I felt was wrong, and um, she wouldn't hear me, and I wasn't the only one that was telling her. There was another person that she wouldn't hear either, and so I just backed out of the position that she had asked me to serve in. I I felt like it was not God-honoring, and I was kind of there as a figurehead, not as somebody who she really believed in my integrity. And yeah. so I just left because I knew what the Spirit of God had spoken to me. So, uh, and it wasn't just me, it was somebody else that confirmed the same thing with me. And so when I, I felt that rebellion, I just, I, I turned away, I wouldn't stay associated with her. And um, it's a shame, I, I might have taken it too far, there was a friend of mine that served on a board um, that this woman had. She had a missionary ministry, and a friend of mine served on her board, and I wouldn't even have anything to do with that friend anymore because I just didn't want to come under this woman's influence. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, and you know, I, I think you just, in those types of situations, if you feel like something is off, uh, it's better just to, to, to not put yourself under that person. You know, I, I would not want to put myself under a leader or a pastor or a teacher that I did not have respect for or that I didn't um, believe was of sound moral character or that I didn't believe actually had a good, good relationship with the Lord. And so th- those would kind of be my my criteria there and then of course making sure that they are teaching the word of god you know yes so thank you so much you've helped me immensely god bless you no problem thank you for your call thanks bye All all right you're listening to calvary live if you have a question about the bible or a question about um a teacher that you've heard of or a teaching that you've heard uh, we'd love to talk with you today. You can call us at 303-690-3000. Once again, that is 303-690-3000. Or you can text 720-336-0897. I'd like to go to Sarah on line two. Sarah, welcome to the program. Yes, thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling because I, I, I need help trying to deal with... a. Um, uh, just uh, a situation in my life, and I'm not sure what I should be doing. Or, um, but a year and a half ago, my my father-in-law moved in with my husband and I. It was supposed to be very temporary, and um, he's still living with us. My my husband, and I picked up and moved where we were living, and my father-in-law lived uh, moved with us. Um, I made mention that I didn't want him to actually move with us, and he had laughed at me and didn't take me seriously, and um, it, it's affecting our, my, my husband's and my marriage, and um, I can't even talk to my husband about it uh, without us fighting, and um, I don't really know how to move forward. I, I, I definitely feel like we're being beyond taken advantage of at this point for what was supposed to happen of just a brief Thing to um, now 
feeling like he's never going to leave us. And anytime now I try to bring it up with my husband that we need to be having that conversation, my husband says that he he's uncomfortable having a conversation. He doesn't want to do it. Um, and then he'll um, if I if I try to tell him that we need to do it, my husband gets irritated with me and says that I'm not being Christ-like by not. Um, in my opinion, by not letting his dad keep walking all over us, um, that I'm being unchristlike to his father. So I, I feel like it's really affecting our marriage, and I hate the fact that we have such a strain on ourselves, but I feel like there's nothing I can say that is making things better. There's nothing, you know, trying to discuss it with my father-in-law, trying to discuss it with my husband, like, nothing seems to get better. Okay. I just don't know what to do. Okay. Now let me let me ask you this. Um, has does your father in law have? Uh, does he have a job? Does he work? He does. He does. So he has a job. He is working. Is he paying rent to you guys? Um, in the last six months, he started actually paying rent. Yeah. Okay. So so he's he's not just living there and eating your food and and not at least not contributing. Okay. Um, now, when you first took him in, you you guys said that it was going to be temporary. Did you guys put a time limit on it at all? Um, well, I didn't want it to happen in the first place. Um, my husband said it was supposed to be for only three or four months max. Mm-hmm. Um, and that time came and went, and um, he never left. And when I brought it up to my husband about it, um, that just caused a fight between the two of us about me trying to say, why is this still going on when we said it was only supposed to be, you know, this amount of time. Right. Okay. Um, okay. So so here's what I would say. I, I, I don't really want to arm you with a bunch of scriptures to go and argue with your husband about it in, in that sense. I mean, I, I think I could do that. But... The reality is I think that the two of you probably need to try to sit down and if he's not listening, if he's not willing to talk with you about this and it results in a fight, I would suggest trying to sit down with um, your pastor at your church and saying, you know, telling your husband, I, I, I need to talk about this with somebody and if you're not willing to talk with me about it civilly, we need to go and, and, and have somebody that can talk with us about, with this, about us, or talk about this with us. And the two of you sit down with, with your pastor at your church. Do you guys have a church that you go to? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, so if you were to, to call, you know, your church and talk to the pastor there and say, you know, here's what's going on. My husband and I, we need to sit down with, with somebody that can speak uh, into this situation. I mean, I, I always recommend against taking family in like that on longer periods of time for, for married couples because it, it often ends badly. Of course, we want to take care of our family members. And so if someone has a disability or they need care, that's a different type of story. But it sounds like uh, like he is fully capable of, of holding down a job, of paying rent on his own place, and you guys just need some space. Is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah, that, that's fairly accurate. Um, uh, we're coming in on our first year in our first house, and I'm I'm particularly upset about it that our first year in our house is not just our year, it's ours and his year. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't seem as meaningful to me. Um, yeah. And that just just the continued having to deal with it and the fact that 
my husband has flat out told me that he doesn't want to have those conversations with his dad because he doesn't feel like he can handle dealing with it emotionally. But then mm-hmm. that jumps it onto my shoulders, and I, I'm right. upset about that too. Yeah. And that's probably, just to be honest, I mean, uh, that's probably the reason that your your husband is is um, is is hedging on this whole thing is because he doesn't want to talk to his dad about it. Um, and that's something that, that you guys will have to work out, I think. Um, how long have you been married? Um, five years. Five years, okay. And so, so here's what I would recommend. And I, I want to pray with you today for sure before we get off the line. But here's what I recommend. I, I would say that... You should talk to your husband and say, "Look, this is this just isn't working with to have your dad here. We need to we need to do something different. And if you're not willing to talk with me about it, can we go talk to our pastor about it together and see what he would say about this situation? Because you know what he's saying to you is that it's not being Christ-like to not let him live there, which I would disagree with that statement. But I think that maybe sitting him sitting down with somebody else." Um, that can speak into your situation would probably be more effective than you going back at him and saying, well, you know, it doesn't say that you have to let your father-in-law live with you. Um, so that, that would be my recommendation, would be to talk to your pastor together about this and, um, and let him, you know, kind of speak into that situation. And maybe coming from somebody other than you, um, he might get some, some uh, insight and, um, you know, maybe willingness more to talk to his dad about this because um uh, it, it does sound like something needs to happen yeah okay so um let me pray for you real quick before we go and then um you know i if you um what what church do you go to i go to calvary Aurora. okay yeah so you know what um, Pastor Matt at Calvary Roar. I know lots of guys there at Calvary Roar. Pastor Matt and his wife are the marriage. Um, he's the marriage pastor, and they run the marriage ministry there at Calvary Aurora. Pastor Matt, he's awesome. And I know that he would be happy to sit down with the two of you and talk with you about this. Um, so it, it doesn't need to be Pastor Ed. It's just they, Pastor Matt and his wife, are there. they oversee the whole marriage ministry. I don't know if you've got on, I've gone on any of their conferences or retreats or anything, but... Um, I would, you know, have the two of you sit down with them, talk about this, um, and and really be able to work through that and talk through some of those things together with somebody would be huge. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, let's let's pray. Lord, I lift okay. up Sarah and her husband to you, and just as um, they've been having um, her father-in-law live with them, Lord, and there's the challenge of that. On their the strain on their relationship, Lord, I pray that you would, I pray that you would help her husband to be able to see that the strain that is putting on his wife, um, and that and I pray that you would help his dad to see that as well, that he doesn't want to be that burden to his children, to his kids, and so I pray that you would just resolve this situation, Lord, and I pray um, that you would bring some godly and biblical wisdom into the mix here, uh, that you would, um, whether it's through Pastor Matt or in another situation or another person, Lord, that you would just speak truth into this and um, bring some resolution here for them, Lord. And so we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Sure. Absolutely. All right. You have a great day. God bless.
All right, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nate Morris taking your calls and questions today. We've got a couple open lines. You can call us today at 303-690-3000. Once again, that phone number is 303-690-3000. Or you can text 720-336-0897. I'd like to go to Joe on line three. Joe, welcome to the program. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I just had a question if we can lose our salvation. I know it talks about it in Hebrews 6 a little bit, um, but I was just hoping if you could shed any light on that. Uh, For a very simple answer, um, I would say that no, you cannot lose your salvation um, in the sense that you gained it and then lost it. Um, so, so for a very simple answer, I'd say that as far as defining what that means and what that looks like, that's where it gets a little bit more complicated. And so we have to define what it means to have your salvation. Now, what is our salvation? Our salvation really is, uh, it's eternal life, right? That's really what it is. When we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of eternal life. So if life is eternal, that means it can't ever end. And so the, the, the thought of being able to lose something that is eternal, it's, it's just not, not even possible, really. But then secondarily, I think we need to get outside of our own concept of time and space, uh, understanding that, that, that God exists outside of time and space. D- does that make sense? Do you follow with that? Um, yeah. The, yeah, so the God doesn't—time and space are, are constructs that God created, essentially. It's part of creation. And so, uh, you know, it says that God knew the end from the beginning. Um, it says that he knew us before the foundation of the world. Uh, and it also describes Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world, which when we look at that, that doesn't make any sense, right? Like, okay, well, we know that he was slain, you know, on the cross 2,000 years ago. How was he slain from the foundation of the world? It, there's a sense in which the timeline that we look at, it, God is outside of that. And so, the central event in history, that the the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ transcends all of that. And so um, those who were saved before Jesus were saved the same way that those who are saved after Jesus are saved, and that is by faith in God and in the, the, the work of Messiah on the cross. And so I, I say all that to say this, you know, when God looks at, at your life, he doesn't look at it in the moment that you're in right now. He sees everything about your life, past, present, and future. And so when God sees you as saved, he sees you as saved, not just in this moment, but the entirety of your life. So it's impossible for you to be, you know, saved one moment and not saved another. When God's looking at your life in in the entirety of it, we either are or we aren't. Now, there are scriptures that are very challenging and give us very stern warnings about our salvation. And, you know, that's why we're challenged to make our calling and election sure. You know, that's th- that scripture that says that, that challenge, you know, be diligent to make your calling and election sure. The reason for that we see these warnings is because there are many people who think that they're saved, who think that they are believers that aren't. And so this is where those scriptures come in. For those people who appear to be believers, but really they've never actually engaged in that faith, that relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, that is the, the kind of the, the dividing line that I see there 
when we look at those people is uh, not that they were saved and then suddenly became unsaved, it's that they were never saved in the first place. You know, John said that they, they went out from us because they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have remained with us. But since they're not, they've gone out from us. Um, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so so I kind of, it's a really big discussion and we could spend half an hour talking about it. Uh, we're coming up on the end of the show here in just a minute, so we won't get to do that. But really, like, uh, for us, it doesn't. We can look at somebody else, and to, for all appearances, for our purposes, that person appears to be saved. Um, but we we don't know their heart the way that God does. You know, we look at the outward appearance, and God looks at the heart. And so, God knows the heart of that person. The only person that we can really know is ourselves. And so, uh, we can be those who choose to put our faith and our trust in Jesus, and then we can know that we are saved. We can have that assurance of our own salvation. Um, but when it comes to other people, we really can't judge. And I don't think that we can look at it and say, you know, they were saved and now they're not. It, it doesn't really work uh, that way from, from the way that we can view things. Now, um, I've seen people that from my appearance on the outside, they were saved and then they were not saved and then they got saved again, right? So that, like the way that it looks to me from the outside. Now, of course, that person probably was never actually a believer in the first place until they really gave their life to the Lord later on down the line. Um, but for my appearances, it looked like they were, and then they weren't, and then they were again, and it's, you know, which are you? Um, so I, I think it's important that we understand that really the, the defining piece of our salvation is faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's that relationship with God. And um, when Jesus sees the people that are going to come before him, you know, he described this scene where many are going to come saying, didn't we do many signs and wonders in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name and cast out demons in your name? And Jesus is going to look at them and he's going to say, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. That's what he's going to say to them. So it's not that, oh, I knew you and then you walked away from me. He says, I never knew you. So there's going to be those people that look like they're believers, even, I mean, even to the point of casting out demons and performing miracles, right? <laughs> it's like, for me, it's like, man, I've never done, I've never performed a miraculous thing in my life. I haven't seen, you know, a, a, a hand, you know, I've, I've had miracles in my life that have taken place for sure, but I've never been a, a performer of those things. And he's going to look at those people and say, I never knew you. That's the defining thing. Never knew you. So that I hear the music. So we're coming up on the end of the show. Um, so thank you for your call. Hope that helped and answered your question. And to all our listeners, thank you for listening today. This has been Calvary Live. Make sure you tune in tomorrow at 4 p.m. for more. Thank you for listening to Calvary Live. Be sure to tell a friend about Grace FM.